Hey now, say now, you're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. D-Boy, what's going on with you? What's we up back, with it, bro? We what's back, up with back. it, man? What's up with it? Oh, nothing much, man. We we took a week off from the pod, so we definitely got some stuff that we got to touch on uh, here this week. But, you know, staying busy, jobs keeping me busy, which I'm very grateful for. Obviously, with the pandemic that we're in right now, many people can't quite say the same. Many people's jobs... Um, are non-existent right now. They're filing for non-employment or for uh, non-employment. Unemployment. Unemployment. Excuse me. They're 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 just doing uh, a plethora of things outside of the ordinary for them and don't necessarily know what their next step is going to be. Um, and in my case, you know, the job's certainly been keeping me busy. Released two big podcast episodes last week. We had Israel Bayer join us on the Street Roots podcast. Uh, he is the director of the. North American Bureau of the INSP, which stands for the International Network of Street Papers. We also had uh, Cole Merkel, who formerly worked with Street Roots and is now the deputy director for Here Together Oregon. And the Multnomah County Chair, Deborah Kafori, join us on a podcast episode to discuss Measure 26210. So um, go to news.streetroots.org slash podcast if you want to check those out. I'll also... Um, put it in the, the description of this particular episode so you can just click on that link and go right over there and check those out. Two really important episodes uh, in regards to the street paper movement and how it's being maintained during these times. And uh, right now it's voting season here in the state of Oregon. I know in California and many other places, um, the primary voting is already done and over with. But here in the state of Oregon, our primaries are not yet done and folks are voting right now as Election Day will be on May 19th. So um, very informative um, on the Measure 26210 uh, was the discussion that I had with Chair Kafori and Cole Merkel. So go ahead and check it out. I'm endorsing it and I'm saying yes on 26210. I would like for you to do the same, but I don't want you to do it blindly. If you don't know what the measure is, I think a great place to go learn about it would be right there on the Street Roots podcast. Um, D boy, you got any announcements? Anything going on in your world? Um, nah, man, just same old for me. Like you said, I'm just fortunate to be able to still generate an income and create music. And uh, actually, yeah, I just started this series that I'm about to drop called Journeys and Dreams. It's gonna be a IGTV series, and it's just gonna cover a lot of behind the scenes stuff that goes into. What we do, what I do, um, you know, just a little bit deeper other than what they just see visually through the content that I post on my social. So uh, Journeys and Dreams is going to be a series coming soon for me. Just a lot of short little uh, episodes and pretty much that's it. Okay. Okay. Um, I do want to have a quick discussion. We're, we're going to definitely take a deep dive on the Last Dance documentary as everybody's doing right now because that is the biggest shit going on on television, probably as a whole, not even just within the world of sports, but tonight, and this episode will be out tomorrow morning, so um, I'm not announcing this for folks to go and listen to me tonight, because you won't hear this episode until tomorrow, but tonight I am bringing back Neo Social Distancing. Um, many of you know that I've been DJing during these quarantine times. I've been having my Thirsty Thursday rendition, um, and when I first started DJing through the quarantine, I started off with neo-social distancing. 
a lot of the reason is because, you know, I, I tend to DJ in some lounges and, and I think Neo Soul certainly matches lounge music. So for me, it was pretty nostalgic being that I can't DJ in those lounges at this particular time with the quarantine and with this pandemic taking place and shutting many of these bars down that uh, really all the bars down that I DJ that not even just many because I don't have any gigs right now. Um, so for me, it was nostalgic and it was something different. I thought it was clever because social distancing is such a big thing. And with my love for the genre of neo soul, being able to call it neo social distancing just seemed really cool and certainly, you know, got the momentum started in regards to folks really tuning in to my DJ sets on Instagram live. Um, but I hadn't done it in the last maybe two to three weeks. Um, but I have been pretty consistent on doing the Thirsty Thursdays and people have really been enjoying that. But this week I'm going to bring back Neo Social Distancing and I'm going to do it tonight, which is a Tuesday night, because um, many of you know that these beat battles have been going on amongst artists, producers, songwriters, etc. But this weekend, this coming Saturday, um, there will be there will finally be the first female beat battle. And. It's not amongst rappers. It's amongst two queens that happen to be very high up on the Neo Soul chain. And those queens happen to be Erica Badu and Jill Scott. Um, certainly two of my favorite artists. Uh, Jill Scott <laughs> has been really one of my favorite artists for a really long time now. I've always been high on Jill Scott. Erica Badu, also one of my favorite artists. I've actually gotten to see her live on a couple of occasions, um, and, and she's just phenomenal as well, makes phenomenal music. So I'm really excited about the beat battle this weekend, and I'm deciding to bring back Neo Social Distancing tonight just to get folks warmed up for the phenomenal beat battle that will be this Saturday. At least I think it'll be phenomenal based on who these two queens are. But D-Boy, um, I just want to ask... What's your general thoughts of being that you're the music guy here on this podcast? Um, who do you think is going to win? Why do you think they'll win? And what do you kind of foresee happening in that beat battle between these two queens this Saturday? Uh, it's actually a tough one, man. It's a tough one. I think it's favorable for both of them for different reasons. But if I had to go ahead and give the nod, I think, and I might be doing this prematurely, I got to really go back and dive into their catalogs wholeheartedly and that's why um i'm looking forward to it because even with the ones that i've seen you damn near kind of forget some of the songs that people either have done or have written or been a part of behind right. the scenes that you may have never even really known so uh off of my first instinct i want to say jill scott <laughs> but i i it's nothing taken away from erica badu and i think it's gonna be a very close one so i'm gonna definitely be tuned in and if i say jill scott i think um uh, I, I wouldn't even, I don't even think it's because of a more extensive catalog. I think it's maybe just the impact that the songs that she did come out with had for me. You right. know what I mean? I don't think, I think Erica Badu probably has a bigger catalog and some bigger records, but this is solely off of independent personal impact, and, and which is why I would give Jill Scott the nod. But. Absolutely. I think for me personally, my favorite artist is Jill Scott. I don't know if I quite see her winning a beat battle. Right. Um, a lot of the reason being public perception. I think Erica Badu 
Um, for one, Erica Badu has been around a little bit longer than Jill Scott has. So you say she's more popular? I think she's definitely yeah. more popular. Um, I think she reaches uh, different age, age ranges that Jill Scott just might not reach. Um, and I also just think Erica Badu is a little bit more out there. Um, Badu, obviously, her swag, her style, who she is, I think has become more iconic. I guess iconic and brand worthy than what Jill Scott has become over time. Now, I think where Jill Scott Jill is Scott did the I'm not people, my hair though, right? No, no, no. That who was India Irie. Okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Uh, but where I think Jill Scott is going to surprise people is I think she will show how iconic she actually is. For those who may just be coming into this with just the perception that Erica Badu is Badu and Jill Scott can't touch Facts. Badu because Facts. she's Badu. Facts. Um. But, but she, she did the Let's Take a Long Walk record. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I was asking about the I Am Not My Hair record because I know Jill Scott has a lot of substantial music that 100%. stood for things. You feel me? And Badu too, but I think Jill Scott was more so known for, for that where, like you said, Erica Badu had a lot of other outsider extra factors that made her who she was as well for one the name is is it yeah. stands you know is and then like you said the style and everything like that that kind of went with her whole persona for A real absolutely and i think her style actually matched her music as well like <laughs> you mm -hmm. know, like erica badu is elite when it comes to making music and i think erica badu just had more ties and connections to more people in the music industry just kind of because of her legendary status. And like I said, being around for a longer time, um, I think she certainly probably does have the more extensive catalog. Um, but like I said, where I think Jill is going to surprise a lot of people is I think they kind of locked Jill into this soulful place. And absolutely, she has a whole lot of soul. But I think there's a difference between soul and neo-soul because neo-soul... Um, it kind of reflects a wider range of things where soul music, I think, was more particular to love and happiness and, 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 and food, I think, even would be one where Jill Scott, I think, can kind of get out the box more but still keep that soulful sound. And I think many people don't really correlate her to being able to do that, where I think Badu gets correlated for going outside the box but still being able to keep a soulful sound even though it might not quite match with what we deem to be original soul music. Um, so, so yeah, I think Badu will probably win based on public perception, and I'm definitely not downplaying her music as well, but I think the shock value is actually going to come from Jill Scott because although Badu has been has had great shock value throughout her entire career, I think we kind of downplay the shock value that Jill Scott actually has, and I think she's going to compete at a high level with somebody like an Erica Badu, who we know to be really, really out there. So I, I, I think it's just going to be one of the better beat battles. I don't know if it'll be the best, but um, it'll certainly tug at my heartstrings a lot as I'm a big fan of soul, uh, Neo Soul music. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. But um, let's transition out of that. Now let's talk about this Jordan documentary. Well, <laughs> I keep calling it a Jordan documentary. It's a Bulls documentary. Jordan was the centerpiece of it because it's Jordan. He's really the centerpiece of the sport of basketball, if we're being honest. But um, it is a Bull doc Bulls documentary, and it's the Last Dance documentary. And episodes five and six have come out. Um, and with us being a podcast that focuses on the intersectionality of sports, politics, and culture... There is no way in hell that I would start off talking about this particular doc today without starting off with 
the Republicans buy shoes to comment. That was brought up. Uh, and shit, they I smashed them all together. I don't know if it was episode was, five or episode six. I think it was five. Either way, they both came out back to back. So I, I mm-hmm. those two hours kind of just get clumped together. Yeah, that was for more me. so five because six was more so about the finals games and playing Barkley and all of them. Right, I think right, five right, was right. The, five, yeah, yeah, yeah it might have been it. five then mm-hmm. because, like I said, I, I just clumped the whole two hours together every Sunday yeah, and I tend to watch it. It was um, fine. Um, but yeah, Jordan kind of got into some activism talk or his lack thereof. And we usually don't hear Jordan talk about these kinds of things, especially now. So it's really great to see him coming out and discussing these topics, regardless of where his stance is on them. He's such an iconic figure. He's such a big time person that just him solely coming out and speaking on these particular topics, which allows for society to, to begin to discuss, uh, I'm grateful for that alone. Whether I agree with Michael Jordan or not on some of the things he said, which we'll get into here shortly, that's one thing. But before I get into what I agree with and disagree with and start dissecting some of the things that he said, I'm just grateful that he was willing to speak up in his own defense in regards to activism and in regards to some of the comments that he made in regards to him not supporting Harvey Gantt because, you know, he, he's too big of a figure not to discuss those things. And it does allow us as a society to bring things to the forefront based on him being willing to have this conversation. But D-Boy, um, I want to start off with you here and kind of on some of your thoughts based on uh, what Michael Jordan had to say in his defense in regards to his lack of being an activist while being an athlete at the same time. And in regards to his comments saying that Republicans buy shoes too. Um, Really, I just thought that it was one of the things where he was, like he said in the documentary, it was kind of a BS statement to me. And when I say BS statement, it could be some truth to it. It could, But I found that he was just throwing it out there as humor. Like Jordan dealt with a lot of people tugging at him and trying to get a response and trying to get him to speak on certain things. And as we also seen in that documentary, um, people were waiting for it. They was praying on his downfall. He was the biggest icon. He was, uh, people wanted to be like Mike, literally. Um, And I think it was one of those things where I would like to hear your take more so because it wasn't a lot there in my opinion. I literally think it was one of those comments where it was like shooting the shit i think he was on the bus at the time when he said it right uh-huh. he was around his teammates yeah he was around his teammates on the bus and i think it was more so of like a a joke going bad even if it was some truth to it so do you see it more so as that even though i'm sure it has deeper surfaces i'm more so and he he even backed what i thought by him saying like and that was just a comment they took and kind of ran with but mm-hmm. i felt like it wasn't enough there for me to really see you know, a problem with it or, uh-huh. or you know, the positive side of it. What, what do you I, think? I, I definitely think that Jordan meant what he said rather than it being a joke going bad because, as you mentioned, he was around his teammates when he made that statement. Mm-hmm. But, you know, me being somebody who's more so into the athlete activism, um, you know, a while back I interviewed Etan Thomas for Street Roots, and I interviewed him in regards to his book, We Matter, uh, and it's about athletes and activism. And so I follow Etan. Etan. Etan actually was a teammate of Jordan's when Jordan was on the Wizards. So this was obviously later in Jordan's career. But 
Etan did interview Craig Hodges. And for those of you who don't know who Craig Hodges was, um, Hodges was the activist athlete on the Chicago Bulls during these times. Won championships with Jordan back in those days. Won three-point contests with Jordan uh, while playing on the Bulls with Jordan back in those days. And in an interview that Etan Thomas had with Craig Hodges, Craig Hodges came out and said, well, I was Jordan's teammate. And I was there when he made that comment. And Jordan most certainly meant what he said. And it wasn't a joke when he made that particular comment. And I think there's other things in, in the documentary that support that. Obviously, his lack of support for Harvey Gantt, even his mother, his own mother tried to get him to endorse Harvey Gantt. And Jordan more so played the role of, I'm a basketball player. I'm not really into politics. It's just not quite my thing. And I'm not one of those people that wants to force activism onto anybody. Do I think if Jordan wanted to be kind of this pro-black figure or if Jordan wanted to have a political stance back in those days that he had the resources necessary to be able to do so? Absolutely. But if he claims that that just wasn't his interest, then that just wasn't his interest. The problem that I think Michael Jordan has goes beyond just the Harvey Gantt situation, and it also goes beyond just what Craig Hodges had to uh, say. When you say the problem that Jordan has, are you talking about Michael Jordan having a problem with something else, or do are you saying Michael Jordan was a problem by saying that comment? I think I think the problem, maybe not the problem that Jordan has, but the problem that some people in society may have in with, regards to so Michael Jordan and right. that particular statement, okay. tying that into him not supporting Harvey Gantt, is I think Jordan's career reflected that he, I don't, like I said, I don't want to force pro-blackness on Jordan, but when you even look at Jordan's dynamic with Isaiah Thomas and how much Michael Jordan disliked Isaiah Thomas, I'm, I've been listening to what Isaiah Thomas has had to say outside of just within the documentary as well in regards to defending himself. But Isaiah Thomas spoke about, uh, on ESPN, he spoke about when he didn't come off the floor and shake hands with the Chicago Bulls. And the Bulls were up 3-0 in that series, and he says... I'm not really sitting here saying that I was a saint or that we did the right thing by not shaking hands with Michael Jordan. But what a lot of people don't realize is after game three, going into game four, Michael Jordan came out and made comments about Isaiah. He came out and made comments about the city of Detroit, basically saying that Isaiah and the, and, and the city of Detroit and that Pistons bad boys team was bad for basketball. Um, and we all know, kind of the cultural connection, especially when it comes to the black culture that the city of Detroit has. And also Isaiah Thomas and some of the comments that he made back in those days in regards to Larry Bird and just kind of the pro-black role that Isaiah Thomas played within sport. So to me, I think just tying that all into who Michael Jordan was, I don't think Michael Jordan necessarily supported other people being pro-black. And that's where I feel like this statement of Republicans buy shoes too came from a real place with Michael Jordan. He didn't necessarily have to step up to the forefront and speak in support of these folks or 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 come out and try to be this activist or this political type figure within the sport, similar to what we may see with LeBron James today. But people that was around Michael Jordan that were pro-black 
He just did not support them in a way that I think that he could have. And that's where I think, like I said, with Isaiah Thomas, there was a problem. If we get deeper into the story of Craig Hodges wearing a daishiki to the White House and then the following season being waived by the Chicago Bulls and then he couldn't get a deal anytime after that, um, Jordan was kind of the centerpiece of the league at that time. And so I just think that there's other instances where Jordan just didn't support and I think it just, blackness. I think it wasn't his job. As crazy as that sound to some, maybe, um, I think Jordan, he really exemplified that over and over again in his documentary, is that he was strictly focused on basketball. His energy was being the killer on the court, period. And to his defense... Part of that is the reason why he was the greatest basketball player of all time. And we're going to get into that. Uh, yeah. I mean, we're going to get into the debate of that. But mm-hmm. you get what I'm saying. He, that's why he's the icon that he is. That's why he signed the, the, the Nike deal that he did as a rookie with numbers that we had never heard of at that time before. It's like Jordan's focus was basketball, period, point blank. He didn't give his energy to the other things, whether we like it or not. Yes, he was in position where he could have made some more impact in other areas. Did he think it was his, uh, did he think that was his responsibility or stance? I don't think so. And I think he made that clear. So although I do get what you're saying, um, I think that's why over the years, Michael Jordan has taken a lot of heat um, from black people for real. Mm -hmm. And uh, some things, Obviously, he said, and some things is speculation, but I've heard he've told a chameleonaire and somebody else, I don't sign autographs for no niggas, which I think is a lie, mm-hmm. but I've heard that. We've also heard that he has something to do with prisons and, yeah, the, yeah, all, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. It, it, like I said, it's just been a narrative like that, and I think it stemmed off of earlier situations such as what we just mentioned. Well, well I think... I I get what you're saying in regards to the competitor that Michael Jordan was. And like you said, we'll get into that soon as we kind of have this GOAT conversation. A little bit of the problem, though, that I do have with Michael Jordan is this shit was 30 years ago. All these stories, all these speculations, uh, whatever you want to call it, was 30 years ago. I feel that Michael Jordan to this very day has not changed his stance on anything from back then. I get if Michael Jordan said, hey... This is how I felt back then. Even if he would have came out and said, you but he know did what? say I was that. Wrong. He said I literally, my energy was literally channeled no, no, to no, basketball. No, no, no. He said that, but I don't think that he followed up with. I don't feel that way now. I, I don't think he supported the narrative that this is who I used to be. This is who I was as a competitor. This is no longer who I am. This is where I may have been right in certain situations. This is where I may have been wrong in certain situations because he's had 30 years I to reflect on I think he did say it. that, though, because he, li- he literally said that. He was like, you know, I, I, I didn't choose to be a role model. It came with everything, and he's like, for a lot of people, I inspired and motivated and blah, 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 and if that wasn't what I did for you, then... Maybe you can look elsewhere. Yeah, and but, I think but, but that's, he's still projecting it upon you, the consumer. And I think he's that's not what reflecting it, on who he was himself and where he may have changed. That's did, the point that I'm making. I think I think, I think he did that. De- I, I disagree. It, I think deflecting it on the, to the consumer is entirely different than him saying this is where I probably. 
could have stepped up to the plate in this realm. This is where I probably could have stepped up to the plate. He said why he didn't, though. That's why no, I said but, I think he spoke not, on it. He said why he didn't, but he never said that whether that was right or wrong. He just is kind of staying firm. It was more so like a defense mechanism. Well, I think he don't think he was wrong is why. And, and you think my, he was wrong. And that's my point yeah, is 30 years he later, wrong. he still has not really changed his stance on anything. Because it's opinion-based. And, and based. that's why, no, but, he, but what I'm saying is he said it. It's not opinion-based. He hasn't changed his stance on anything. And I think Jordan is smart enough to where he would use that platform to say whether he changed his stance or not. And I don't think he's changed his stance I don't think much. he has either, but he don't think he's wrong. So why would he change his stance? That he that's think- my point. That's But that's, that's all feeding into the mm-hmm. point that I'm making. After 30 years, if you can't reflect and say, even with the Isaiah Thomas thing, like he came out and but said... But you're Isaiah saying he didn't a- reflect. He's reflecting. He's just not changing no, his but, stance. No, but, but, but his stance, he, he reflected, okay... You can have that. He reflected. But in reflecting, he still deflected his thoughts, his opinions, the way that he felt on the consumer rather than saying where he might feel different today in comparison to how he felt back then. That's all I'm saying. Mm. He just, he just, he, I don't see necessarily the change or the growth in Michael Jordan. He's not a politician, in that regards. But But I know, I'm not asking him to be a politician, but what I'm saying is everything was more so a defense mechanism for Mike where you can grow in 30 years without being a politician. You can say where you felt something might have been wrong or but something might have been... also being that big is, is very risky, bro. Like, b- talking politics is risky to people with no money. For real. They tell you don't bring it up at work. Obviously, you work in a political environment, but outside of you, I think... Politics is risky, and I think any, even today, um, I know people who sign the record labels who are trained to not speak about politics and to dodge that question for real. So I look at it a little bit deeper. When you got somebody that's worth multi-billions of dollars, um, it's a lot to lose. It's a lot on the table. And but I is think, it when you're worth multi-billions? No, for real. Like, I mean, especially this day and age, people money, are sensitive. It? That's what I'm saying, that we've only seen people get more and more sensitive to these issues over the years, for real. And so I think it's just an area that he's been trained or coached to minimize or stay away from and i think sometimes i think that's unfortunate that with the power that he has it is unfortunate with the billions of dollars that he has now that's very unfortunate and that goes back to my point of saying even 30 years after all of this shit went down he is still kind of abiding but that's what i'm saying i think it's even harder to jump out and talk about it now than it was then i I think think if it was any time it would have been then and that's where i think his stance stays from then to now is that he doesn't want to discuss politics. He, that's what makes a, it harder now than then? Because the, I, sensitive, I, the, the sensitivity of it, the, the social media aspect of it, the blown out of proportion story, the fact that we don't hear much about Michael Jordan and he stays behind the scenes. So if you do hear a political stance, you go. everybody's going to run with it. I think it's just more access even now than then, and and he just that's something that he doesn't choose so to associate his name LeBron with. So then, why has LeBron in particular? Because I, I want to kind of transition this more so to on the court in regards to a discussion in between LeBron and Jordan. But just from an activism standpoint, and and the person that LeBron has become on that particular front, what is it that LeBron does or has that is so special in comparison to Michael Jordan, where? Jordan just can't quite make that transition into talking politics where LeBron has kind of become this figure uh, in regards to activism. Like, and in like I realm. said, it's just a matter of who uh, 
who wants to embrace that and, and take that avenue and lane. Um, don't get me wrong. Michael Jordan did a ton of charity work. He did a bunch of stuff for youth and, 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 and adults as well. Michael Jordan definitely was a charitable person. So let's not discredit that part. Some people, yeah. So, so some people dive a little bit deeper into the political stance, but I think a lot of the work that LeBron James does is more so geared to people of, uh, you know, disadvantaged minorities and, um, people that just have the eyes against it. Yeah, for sure. But what I'm saying is Jordan did that part. He didn't dive deep into politics. And I, I still don't think a lot of the work that Le- I think the forefront of what LeBron is doing is more so the educational piece, his I Promise School and all of that. He does speak on the injustices of black people and people of color. And I think that that's just something that he's willing to accept everything that comes with that. We can't sit here and act like LeBron James doesn't take a lot of heat. A lot of flack. And I think that's something that he's willing to stand up against and fight against and accept. And maybe that might be the reason why some people waver towards liking LeBron James more. I don't know if you remember in that documentary, somebody said uh, uh, Muhammad Ali would sacrifice a paycheck to speak out on what he stood for. And that's why we going to remember Muhammad Ali. We might not remember Jordan. Bullshit. (laughs) <laughs> you feel me? But it's oh, no, like, but, but I get, but that was, sport. that was said in the yeah, documentary. Was, you feel was, me? Yeah. So I, I and so I say all of that to say though, some people are willing to take what comes with certain decisions that they make and certain things that they speak on. And some people don't. And I think that's, that's solely the difference between the two. And like I said, I'm not trying to force Jordan to become some activist or some, of some sort, but I do think Jordan could have acknowledged his lack of support for certain figures in the NBA. Um, like I said, Isaiah Thomas being one of them, I know he hated Isaiah on the court and that's all fine and dandy, but I think even the story of Craig Hodges, I think could have kind of been brought more to the forefront in this particular docu-series, and it just hasn't. And like I said, I, I could just see a world where Jordan just didn't support certain, pe- certain people for the stances that they took. Now, like I said, that doesn't mean he has to endorse them, especially 30 years later. He could say and he could acknowledge where, you know, maybe I could have supported this person or maybe I could have supported that person. But at that time, things were just really hard. Things were really tough. I was growing into this icon that was, in some cases, bigger than life. Um, for him to acknowledge that 30 years later, I think would have been absolutely dope. But the fact that he's just kind of still more so playing the defense 30 years later to me is where I think uh, it was kind of a hole in regards to the activism segment on that particular episode. Um, but let's switch this over to the LeJordan, to the Jordan LeBron. I said the LeJordan. <laughs> to, I heard you. To the Jordan LeBron topic and, and really on the court because uh, obviously, you know, these two guys have, have been compared in several ways. Um, it's really hard. I think Kobe Bryant in this last episode made it really hard to throw himself in the conversation because he pretty much came out and said everything that I was came from Michael Jordan. So um, it's hard to kind of throw Kobe into the conversation now with the kind of respect and the admiration that he came out and said on this documentary in regards to who Michael Jordan was. Tell me why. 
Because it's just the same as like a father and son. It, usually the son is better than the father when it's all said and done because everything that the father instilled in you um, from the morals, the value, the talent, um, the perspective, all of that. So I think it's like, you know, a, a father raising a child and seeing his son grow up to be better than him. Um, and it's a lot of him within that style. Yeah, so, but I think the difference is... Usually the father would be willing to admit if the son got better or the son would be willing to say, you know, I took what he did. And well, I, I mean, that's because it's literally a father's yeah, son. I don't yeah, think that Jordan, that's something that once again, no, I don't think that's all. Fathers ultra. usually brag on if the that's son That's what I said. It, that's because it's your son. <laughs> yeah. it's li your literal son is your blood. You want to see that. You want to see them take it further than you. But um, but even the comment I think that Kobe mentioned about, you know, I hate when people ask who would win in a one-on-one. But LeBron said the same thing before, though. He don't like that. He don't like that. He thinks that to each his own, they all bring but something. I think, but I think that's different because LeBron is saying it in regards to to each his own. Let's just get to where the Kobe, point. You think LeBron Kobe is better is than Jordan? 100%. Okay, but but I'm still going to make my point about Kobe here. My point about Kobe is Kobe is literally saying I emulated everything that Michael Jordan did. Now, in the case of LeBron James, I don't see that being the same comparison. And that's where I say there's a different argument when it comes to LeBron and Jordan because I think LeBron is an entirely different type of a player yeah, but he's than also Michael Jordan is. Sure, agreed. sure, Jordan has influence. But and Kobe, even his LeBron. stature, his body type, everything is more similar to Michael Jordan. So obviously certain of those things are going to be instilled in Kobe Bryant's game more. LeBron is a lot bigger. LeBron played different positions. LeBron is a different kind of basketball player. But would I say better than Michael Jordan? No, I, I just wouldn't. I'm glad you said that about LeBron being a different kind of basketball player because that's the exact reason why I do think LeBron exceeds Michael Jordan as a basketball player. Here's the thing. We talk about the Jordan era, and I think the Jordan era was when Jordan came into the league as a rookie up until he won his first championship. Now, the reason I say that, when Jordan came into the league, he was a phenomenal scorer, especially at the guard position. We hadn't really seen a guard that could score with the dominance of Michael Jordan. Usually, you saw the scoring dominance come from the big man position, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, excuse me, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's of the world, uh, the Will Chamberlains of the world, even the George Mikans of the world. We know the Mike and Drill that's still heavily used today. That was that was really a force in regards to his ability to be able to score the basketball back in those days. And Jordan came in and he kind of brought this different element where he came in and he could score in a way that folks just didn't at the guard position. A lot of the reason is because guards were kind of trained to more so play the role of being a floor general play the role of being um, maybe a shooter, not quite a, a full-on scorer, but Jordan came into the league. He was taking it inside. He was flying all over the place. He was he was just scoring in a way that we'd never seen anybody 6'6 six, six or below score the basketball. And I think the case could still be made to this day in regards to Michael Jordan being that dominant as a scorer. But none of that, Jordan by Jordan's second year in the league, he was already perceived as the best player in basketball. That didn't necessarily translate to Jordan winning championships, though. And where I think, especially when we have the discussion of 
could LeBron have hung in the 90s or could LeBron have been dominant in the Jordan era, similar to how Jordan could have been dominant in this current era, where I think LeBron could have exceeded Jordan in dominance is in the docuseries, they tried to make it seem like when Jordan Lee, Jordan finally overcame the bad boy Pistons, he had like this Herculean offseason because he was just tired. He was tired of the Pistons beating them up and loading up on them and, and, and implementing the Jordan rules and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so he went and just hit the weight super hard. And then the next season, he was just too strong for the bad boy Pistons to be able to stop him. I don't think that that was the primary reason that Jordan was able to overcome the hump of being able to get past the bad boy Pistons. I think a lot of that reason was Scottie Pippen. And Phil Jackson was willing to take the ball out of Michael Jordan's hands, put them into Scottie Pippen's hands to where now Scottie Pippen, who's also a, a very good scoring threat, can also be a floor general, can also control the basketball game without trying to go one on five where this defense can just load up on you. And as soon as you come inside, they already know what you're going to do because you're only looking to score. Now they can hack you and they can foul you and they can apply the Jordan rules to you. But where I think Scottie Pippen, and this is going to lead up to LeBron James, so bear with me, where I think Scottie Pippen more so reflected the evolution of the game in regards to winning championships, let's take it back to Magic and Bird, two guys who could score it at a high level, but who also could play the role of floor general and could make everybody else a weapon around them. I think that's what led to the dynasties that they both had in the 80s. Then right after that, you had Isaiah Thomas, who could score it at a high level, but could also be a floor general and make everybody else weapons around so Jordan. them. And it kept the deep. No, but Jordan wasn't that guy. It kept the defenses honest. Though being Jordan didn't able, make people around him better? Jordan made the team better. I don't he didn't think, make people around him better? I don't think so. Wow. I don't I, think so. And I think I'm gonna let you talk. I think Scotty was the player that really made everybody around him better. But I think Michael Jordan was so skilled. I think Scotty made Jordan better. Listeners, more than Jordan made unbelievable, Scottie. guys. Tell me, I, but but think about it. I but, already told you. I, but think I, about it. Listening. But think about it. Like I said, Isaiah, a player who is a dynamic scorer, but was just as much of a threat making everybody around him better. Jordan wasn't really making everybody around him better. He was scoring 45 points, but he he couldn't win because he was coming down going one on five. Even look at the highlight when Phil had to tell him, Jordan, just pass the ball to John Paxson. He's wide open. He's knocked down a couple threes. Jordan finally did that. John Paxson knocks down three, knocks down some threes. They end up winning that ball game. So ultimately what I'm saying is, sure, Jordan might have made guys around him tougher and made guys around him more competitive. But if we just look at it solely from the evolution of the game, it was Magic and Bird who made guys around them better and who were just as much of a threat at making guys around them better as they were scoring. Isaiah Thomas, the same could be said for him. And I think Scottie Pippen, the same could be said for him. And if you think about LeBron James, his game more so reflects that of Magic and Bird. It more so reflects, obviously not from a size for sex perspective, but from a skills perspective, it more so reflects that of Isaiah Thomas. And then it more so reflects so, that of Scottie so Pippen. So I'm going to take this conversation to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram after this. So I want to make sure that I quote is right when I do it so that I give us both a fair shot. You are saying that Michael Jordan didn't make people around him better. In the way that Scottie Pippen did. In the way that Scottie Pippen did. Absolutely. Scottie Pippen made 
people better on the team than than more I so think, than Michael Jordan. I think Scottie Pippen made is that, is that right? weapon on the floor. It's not right. I'm about to tell you what it is. I think when you correlate it, like I said, not perception of the greatness of Michael Just Jordan. Just quote it. You quote it. Just quote it. Now listen, when you correlate the Bulls winning championships, I think it was because Scottie Pippen became the primary ball handler and Scottie Pippen knew how to utilize everybody around him See, as too, weapons. I'm saying as a and quote, he kept oh, the defense that's too, honest. That's too wordy. Kept, I'm just saying this is a podcast. No, no, no. I'm saying I'm gonna take. I'm saying when I take it to the platform, no. But you I just, want you to understand what I'm saying before you just take it to the platform any other way. I'm not quoting it. I'm giving you a breakdown. How you quote it is how you quote it. But I'm giving you a breakdown from my lens. I think that the Bulls became champions after Scottie took over the role of playing point guard because it was a more efficient style of basketball than just putting the ball in Jordan's hands and letting him go out but there and score But to simplify 60. things you just said verbatim on this podcast, you don't think that Michael Jordan made his teammates better. You think it was Scottie Pippen. Not to the extent of Scottie Pippen. Yeah, and I that's think, what I'm saying. Okay. And I think that's the, what I the statistics show it. I think right. Scottie Pippen's stats show it. He led in every other category than scoring. They started winning championships when Scottie took over the role as point guard and became a floor general. And I think that aligned with the former champions that came before Scottie, which was Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, who could facilitate and control a game without scoring the basketball as well, which was Isaiah Thomas, who can control the game and facilitate without scoring the basketball as well. But because all of those guys were still elite scorers, now they become more of a threat and it's keeping the defense honest and you can't just apply Jordan rules. You have to account for all five guys on the floor, not just Michael Jordan. And after that, that's when that team became champions. And I think LeBron James' game more so fits the mold of why those teams became champions than Michael Jordan's game does. But I think from a perception standpoint, we give Michael Jordan all the credit because he had an undeniable ability to score the basketball. But even when he did start beating the the Detroit Bad Boy Pistons, it was because he was able to play a lot more one-on-one ball because Scottie Pippen knew how to put Jordan in position to score as he did with everybody else on the floor. And now in a one-on-one situation, yeah, you're not stopping Michael Jordan. But one-on-five, he's going to lose over and over and over again until the game plan gets changes gets changed, excuse me, which is what I thought Phil Jackson did. All right, there it is. There it is. So so that's why I think LeBron James could have been more dominant in that era than Michael Jordan because he's still an elite scorer, but he also is much better at making guys around him a weapon. And when Jordan started to win championships, it was because Scotty utilized the weapons that they had around him, and now Jordan gets a lot more one-on-one scenarios where he can dominate at the highest level and at a more efficient level. And then, yeah, you're not going to beat that team. And they didn't lose. <laughs> like, they didn't lose when it came to championships. But the first seven years, they lost. So, um, yeah, I, did you ask Facebook? Did you get what I was trying to say? Yeah, I just asked him in the way that I told you I was going to ask him. I just exactly, typed it right well, now. Exactly why I made sure to draw it out <laughs> the way that I wanted to. Because no, I knew you way... would ask him in the way that you wanted to No, ask no, no. Him. I said I asked him in a way you just explained. Like, oh, you, you know, said, okay. Well, what, in did the way you, that... what did you ask him? Okay. <laughs> I just said... Let me see. I just went on my Facebook and I said to all my basketball fans out there, my little brother, Devon Pouncey, just said that he does not think Michael Jordan made his teammates better around him as much as Scottie Pippen did. Do y'all agree with this? Because I sure the hell don't. That's what you said, right? Okay, now tell me why you don't. 
I just explained. We we've been you in this segment. Really explain I, it, I, I explained I'm it. So explained it. I explained well, it. Explain it again. I just think I said that because I think that he actually this for the same reason that you said. I think he actually motivated people to play at a higher level, which is a big deal. I think uh, he was a confidence booster, which is a big deal. I think the man excelled in passing. I think the man excelled in defense. He, I seen it. We seen passing. it on the. That's he, 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 He's not. I didn't say he was a better passer than LeBron James. I said he excelled in passing he in wasn't that a department. Better passer than Scottie Pippen. Though. I, I said he excelled in passing. You're not. This is all making people better. He, he did excel in scoring. Well, like I said, I, I'm thinking, trying to explain I mean, my thing and you're cutting me off, so it. it's all good. I'm going to see what the people say and we'll bring no, it back up. No, I'm no, done with it. I'm no, done with no, it. Don't no. know what's out there. No, I'm not listening. No, I'm just saying. I think that, no, I'm not. It's all good. It's all, all right, good. it's all good then. What you got for taking L's? Uh, I got, I want to start off with the uh, DJ Khaled situation as far as that's concerned with the, the girl going on his live and basically going on there to twerk and show a lot of skin and and do too much. And I think we live in a day and age where um, this live thing is getting crazy. If you don't know, um, people is stripping naked on live, people posting their cash apps, damn near prostitution on live. And I've been seeing a lot of people's take versus DJ Khaled saying that because he, he basically cut her off of his live before it went too far, that he gets controlled by his wife or he's scared of his wife. And I think those people with that take are the ones taking L's for real. Um, I think in a day like today where all of this is going on and taking place, um, even me, I see the risk in it as far as it's some, it's some very gray areas with what people are doing when it comes to the life. And, um, uh, with him being a, a, a married man, with him having a family, he's still a human being. And I think, screenshots and screen recorded segments and partial uh, stories get flipped very easily right now. And I think he, I think that the stance that he took was a lot safer and smarter and calculated than just letting her full fledged go and do it. And then it's a whole nother scenario and a whole nother verbiage that goes along with it. So I think we're in a world where we're so easy to to bash a man or make him look like he's scared of his woman or whatever, where I think that he saved himself a lot of problems and a lot of falsified speculation and, and verbiage and stories by cutting it off. And is he a man? Yes. Did he maybe want that to go <laughs> a little longer and see a little more? Maybe. I don't know. It looked like it. It looked like it was kind of hard for him to say no and cut it off. But at the same time, I like I said, I think especially in today's world and, and where we are with it, uh, he took the right approach. And so I think people who bashing that man and telling him that he was stupid and he phony and he's scary, I think you 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 are a very low capacity with your thought process. 100%. I think uh, my take and L's are going to go to the protesters out there and those that are protesting uh, this public health crisis that we are in because of their own selfish reasons of wanting things to open back up, get the economy back rolling, all of that. And listen, I understand that we are in dire times. We are in uh, times that we've never seen before. So I'm not necessarily surprised at some of the reactions from some of these folks during this time of crisis, essentially. Um, but to go out and protest and to gang up all on top of each other to make a point 
in regards to why things need to open back up and why things need to be a certain way, I just think is is immature. Um, and I just don't think it's the right thing to do because the reality is there is a risk being ran. Um, and I would imagine if you're one of those people that's willing to go out and protest amongst all of these thousands of people, that you're probably a person that doesn't mind being around high risk people at the same time. Um, and, and with that kind of a mentality where I can be around all these people to prove a point that this pandemic isn't shit. Well, when you go around your grandmother or your loved one, or you may not even necessarily know who you may go around that may be high risk. And because of that, that's the reason why you shouldn't be all on top of one another, um, during this pandemic. And for those who just don't kind of have that mentality or have that thought process that, Hey, I can be around these thousands of people. And since I'm already out in public, I never know when I may have to be around a high risk person that is out for essential reasons. Um, I, I just think that's, that's kind of a shitty way of thinking. Um, obviously I can get deeper into some of the other elements of the protests. Um, obviously from a racial standpoint as well, a lot of people are coming out and seeing that this is a majority white population that is going out and protesting. And when you think about, uh, underprivileged communities, the black communities, people of color, um, our risk are much higher than the white communities risk in regards to being able to catch this virus and it having uh, a fatal impact on people within these communities. And so, um, I'm, and you know, we've protested a lot of shit <laughs> in regards to race. And even some of the reaction from law enforcement has been entirely different with this majority white protest. than it has been for folks that have fought for things and for issues that, uh, primarily pertain to people of color. So, um, just there's so many reasons as to why I think these protesters should be taking an L and those two are just a few. Um, but I just think people need to just chill out, relax and not make this public health crisis that we're already in much worse than it has already become. And obviously this is not just an American thing. This is a global health crisis. So it's not some fake thing. Uh, that some people are trying to make it out to be. This shit is affecting all pockets of the world. And so I, I just think that's who I got to give my L to this week. And please don't be one of those people out there protesting uh, amongst thousands of people and making yourself uh, a higher risk to be, able to, to be able to potentially catch this disease. Um, with that being said, I think we are going to wrap it up. B-Boy, any last comments, anything you want to say here? Nah, man, it's a wrap for me. It was a good episode. I like the energy. I like the takes and all of the above. So, yeah, it's nothing, nothing here for me. We did the announcements at the beginning. Absolutely. Well, with that being said, um, give it your all and whatever it is that you do. And we are going to leave you the only way that we know how. And that is to stay woke and, and go, go win. win.